Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning, everybody. We are back to Ephesians for the month of May, and this series I've titled Battle Royal. And the title came to me on a run a few weeks back, and I was thinking about the metaphors in Ephesians and knowing we would be coming up to uh, the metaphor of, of the army of God, and I began to think about this royal idea, this kingdom idea. I, actually, I also had just finished watching Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, so I was kind of in, in that mode, and I uh, began to think about that, and um, the thought battle royal came to mind. Uh, royal sons and daughters, I, I said to a parent just a few minutes ago watching their their little da- their daughter up here in, in front during worship and just I got to see her face as she was singing and worshiping the Lord and I thought my, my goodness it's like it's like watching a princess before the king in the throne room of God and uh, that's the idea we are royal sons and daughters of God but we are in a battle we are in a battle. Uh, with the prince of darkness, principalities, powers of darkness. And then I thought about that, the two words, battle royal, and I shared that with, with my son, and, uh, and he asked the same thing I asked when I was thinking about it. Battle, is it battle royal or battle royale? And so I had, to, I had to look those things up, and I began to research the history of the battle royal, and uh, it was very popular in the 17th and 18th centuries in England. They had these huge boxing matches, but it wasn't between one boxer and another. They just filled, flooded the ring with a bunch of warriors, and they just started slugging it out until the last man was standing. And this went on for centuries in England, and then it kind of lost its flair to be picked up again in the southern part of the United States, (laughs) figures, (laughs) Uh, southern part of the United States, and then after it's kind of fizzled out from that, uh, how many of you pro wrestling fans do we have in here? Embarrassed to raise your hand. Anybody? Pro wrestling fans? One lady in the back right there. Anybody else? Uh, back, uh, back in the day, man, some of the WWF stuff. Uh, who was your favorite wrestler? Did you have one? There you go. Ricky Steamboat, Hulk Hogan. Anybody else besides the Hulk? Anybody else? The deep cut wrestler name? How about Superfly Jimmy Snuka? Have you ever heard of him? Anybody? Me neither, but I just made that up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, But Battle Royal is usually recognized now as not something that it's more like whether you believe that professional wrestling is real or not. It's sort of in that land. Although a lot of the video games now that have a lot of shooting and killing, uh, there's a lot of, there's a game titled Battle Royale. It's a death game where you're instructed, a wonderful time, right, to kill everything there to you're the last one standing as the triumphant assassin survivor. Pretty violent, right? Sounds pretty violent. I was thinking on the way here today, the ship that we're on is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. It's a battleship. Uh, 
Think of the difference of mindset with church people if you think you're on a cruise ship compared to being on a battleship. Think of the difference of attitude. Think of the difference of action. We are all involved in a real war, according to the scriptures. Yesterday, once again, in Allen, Texas, nine people, people, human beings, some children, were killed in cold blood at a shopping outlet. And once again, you see the extreme manifestation of something that began to subtly take place in the mind and soul of an individual. But in every individual, whether, and I pray to God, never happens in my life or yours to have to walk out the aftermath of such a thing in the life of someone you know or I know or we love. But it does. There's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, who loves God probably more than I do, probably prays more than I do, who is now a month or two into no longer having his nine-year-old daughter who was tragically murdered in the shooting of a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. But whether we ever face anything like that, God forbid, there is a subtle mental attack on every human being and Satan does not have any law that he has to hold to that keeps him from the attack based on an age demographic. He starts young. The scriptures give us a picture in Revelation chapter 12 that when the woman was about to give birth, the dragon is there set to devour the child. This battle is against all humanity and against the believer. The enemy of mankind is not a man or a woman. The enemy of mankind is the evil one who loves to bring chaos. He loves to pit people against people, party against party, family against family. He's known in the book of Revelation as Abaddon or Apollyon, which means destroyer. But we are people of the gospel. And the gospel is about God empowering us to proclaim and live a message that reconciles people back to God, builds them up in the family of God, where we have moments like this where the presence of God lifts us up. Oh, I hope we never get used to that. I hope we never take that for granted. And I hope we always realize that it doesn't happen by accident. People are mining the well of the presence of God before we walk in this door. Have you ever been anywhere when it's not like that? But God wants to reconcile every tribe, every language, every nation. 
That's why there is such a battle. That's why the enemy of mankind has set his sights. It's a spiritual battle. It's darkness versus light. It's heaven and hell at stake. Families at stake. Kids, teenagers, nations, and neighbors. As we get back to Ephesians, we have seen that God's plan of redemption has been set in motion by the resurrection and ascension of Christ from the dead. And it is a gospel for all nations. In Christ, the heart of heaven is saying yes to mankind. He wants to take every person from rags to riches. He wants to bless us with his kindness. He wants to put us in a blameless state before him. He wants to set us free by the finished work of the blood being shed on Calvary's cross so we can know what it is to be redeemed, to experience favor from God, to live out the destiny of living for the praise of his glory. We have been lifted up to be seated with Christ in heavenly places where we've been spirit-born and God wants us to be spirit-baptized and he wants us to be spirit-led because we must engage this battle in somebody else's power. He gives us metaphors in the book of Ephesians to point us toward our purpose, our mission, every one of us, and collectively all of us. We are literally to be Christ's body on the earth. We are to be mobile, living houses or temples of his presence everywhere we go. We are to be brothers and sisters loving one another in a manner much more dynamic and defined than any kind of love that the world offers. The song you say, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I say what the world needs now is God. Because love isn't God. But God is love. There's a metaphor of us being sheep. We are a flock who are to be fed and led and protected by the shepherd. We are to be a bride who radiates a glorious beauty toward Jesus. We are submitted to his leadership, his lordship, and we love him and we wait expectantly for him but not on a cruise ship. This bride has a sword in her hand engaged in a fight. And we're also an army. The army is the last image presented by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. But I chose to break the order. I chose, as Dustin said, to bring an interruption. I'm going to interrupt the flow of the metaphors and jump to the end. And why I'm choosing to break the order and to cover this metaphor of the army for the month of May is because before preaching on the gifts of the Spirit and the bride of Christ and following him, we have to recognize the enemy or he'll steal everything we, we, we sow. We have to engage and make us aware that when I begin to teach and preach on the gifts of the Spirit, the mission and calling of the church, the ministry power of God in the battle, the birds of the air wait immediately to steal 
And so when I say that God can use you in power, the enemy's going to say, did God really say? And you can think it's you unless you know the enemy's tactics before we begin to march through the other metaphors. We need to be prepared for his tactics because Satan does, Satan does not want the church of Jesus Christ to believe and act like the body of Jesus Christ on the earth. He just wants us to be an audience. He doesn't care how many podcasts you listen to. He doesn't care how many sermon tapes you have. He doesn't care how many Bible translations you read. He doesn't even care that you've underlined all the good verses in the scriptures. The only thing he cares about is you believing it. And that you don't know what Christ has accomplished that you don't experience the freedom that's ours, that you don't have an experience in the grace of God. Your Christianity is a guilt trip so that you don't move in the gifts of the Spirit, so that you actually don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit to be manifested, it's more important outside of this building than in. He doesn't want you to manifest the word of knowledge in the bank. No. Just on the cruise ship with your ice cream. We have to know how to fight him. John Eldridge says in his book, Waking the Dead, if you're not pursuing a dangerous quest with your life, well then, you don't need a guide. If you haven't found yourself in the midst of a ferocious war, then you won't need a seasoned warrior. If you've settled in your mind to live as though this is a fairly neutral world and you're simply trying to live your life as best you can, then you can probably get by with Christianity of tips and techniques. But I doubt it. But if you intend to live in the story that God is telling, and if you want the life he offers, then you're going to need more than a handful of principles, however noble they might be. Because there are too many twists and turns in the road ahead, too many ambushes waiting, and only God knows where and how much is at stake. Do we accept the truth the battle is real and we must be equipped for it? Bilbo Baggins said to Frodo, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. So let the Holy Spirit interrupt the sequence of the letter and focus us this series and give us the power and the ability to unpack it and hopefully all of us have the grace to embrace it because this is the battle royal. The Apostle Paul takes us there in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse number 10, and we're going to stay right in this passage for the entire month of May. And you may say, well, what if the Holy Spirit leader, well, what if he told me to do it for a month? We'll go there. (laughs) 
Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. To withstand in the evil day and to stand victorious in the day. Corrie ten Boom, who was a survivor of a Nazi prison camp, the only survivor in her family, her parents and her sister all died in the prison camp. She said this about the Christian war. She said, you will see that it is not yet a perfect victory we're in. The final victory has not come. We still need armor. We need God's armor. Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6 how to withstand. That means when an attack comes at me and I withstand it. And how to, at the end of the war, I'm the one standing and I'm the only one standing. Paul is giving us in Ephesians 6 how to have decisive victories as a believer. How as a church and as the church, we have a decisive victory as a believer. When Jesus said it is finished, it was decisive. D-Day had occurred. The, be the beaches of Normandy were invaded by the Allied forces. But there were many casualties between D-Day and V-Day. The tide of the war turned when we hit the beaches in France. But the war went on. Christ died on the cross and that was D-Day. That was the devil's, it, he was doomed there. But there is a guerrilla warfare entrenched strategically until V-Day. And we're in that. And we have to withstand in the moments of the evil day. And to be the last man standing at the end of the day. Decisive victories. Paul reveals what it takes to have them. In order to have decisive victories, we must do all things to stand. And here are three of those things. One, we have to know that divine strength is available to us. Man, divine strength, take up the full armor of God. I mean, I know some very solid, powerfully strong Christian warriors in my life. But I'm not to take up their armor. I'm to take up the armor of God. 
If I'm going to live decisively in victory, I'd have to decide to, but the victories can be decisive. And God says this, I am giving you divine strength. It's available to you. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might is the reservoir or storehouse of his power. And what Paul says is go into the mighty storehouse of God and use his power. It's available. Be strong. Take up. You decide. I decide. Take up God's full armor. Also, number two, divine power is a must. Divine power is a must. Divine power is a must. Why? Because there are high powers of evil who have set sights on humans. How they are described. They are high powers of evil. Setting sights against every person. Not asking permission of mama or daddy. Not asking permission of brother or sister. Not asking permission of the president or the defense department. Not asking permission. High powers of evil who've set their sights on humans, who've set their sights on the church. And why do we need divine power? Because they are strategic. They are in one accord. They're not divided. They're not separated. There aren't 36,000 denominations of them. They are all marching with one mission. We're against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, forces of wickedness in heavenly places. To sum it up another way, what we're saying is this. It's either the devil versus me or the devil versus God. My first pastor used to tell us, if we are not in the spirit, we're not even in contention. The word armor that's used here is only used one other time in the Gospel of Luke. It's only used one other time in the whole New Testament, the word armor. It's only used in Ephesians 6 and one other place when Jesus says, the strong man who is fully armed can only be stripped of his armor when a stronger one comes. The only way we can win a decisive victory is in the power of God. No other way. Me, you, couple pals, intellect, cuteness, pretending like we're not in a war. It doesn't say ignore the devil and he'll flee. It says resist him and he'll flee. A lot of times he doesn't flee right away when you resist him. I wish God would have said he'll resist him and in 10 minutes he'll flee. I'm like, it's been 10 months. 
Divine strength is available. Divine power is a must to win decisive victories. Thirdly, we have to be aware of our opponent. We wrestle is the term. We wrestle. The Greek word is pale. It, uh, it's, a, it's a Roman boxing wrestling image. Um, in the Greco-Roman wrestling matches, the goal was to get your opponent off their feet and on their back to lose balance. Homer uses in his Greek writings this word pale. It means strength or power on the neck. Power on the neck. Paul is saying, only in the power of God can you keep the devil, not only off your back, but having his heel on your neck. The only way is in the power of God and the armor of God, because we wrestle not against people, but against princes of death. Our opponent isn't human. We are not in a battle with human beings. We are in a battle with satanic, evil beings, exponentially stronger than any human or any army. More intelligent than the wisest sage that's ever lived on planet Earth in human flesh, except for Christ, whose tactics are and have been effective. Watch this. He got Adam and Eve to fall and they didn't even have a sin nature. They didn't have a sin nature and this malevolent being seduced them. In order to win a decisive victory, we have to know who our opponent is. He got the one who slayed the giant to commit adultery and murder. He got Simon Peter, the water walker, to fall. And he got Judas for keeps. Be sober about the war. Be sober about losing. Be sober about vulnerabilities. Malcolm Gladwell, a Canadian journalist and author and speaker, I heard him twice in pub, uh, face to face. He's written books, great books, Tipping Point, one. Outliers, amazing book. David and Goliath, another. When I heard him speak in one of his lectures, he was talking about how defeat can come to businessmen, ministers, government leaders, family people by falling into a trap of overconfidence. And he used lessons from, the, uh, from two devastating defeats by two of the greatest generals ever in the history of warfare. Hooker at Chancellorsville and Lee at Gettysburg. Hooker was appointed by Lincoln in the time of the war when the South was winning and Hooker was appointed by Lincoln because he was charismatic. He had this imposing, confident air about him. 
He was a good manager. He was good at boosting morale of the troops. He made these changes that seemingly would change the war. He was an expert at analytics. He was the first general to put together what was known as the Bureau of Military Intelligence. He put together this great group of smart analysts, and they had a spy network on Lee's army in the south. They used hot air balloons. Hooker even managed to get near real-time data on Lee's position and was even able to break the codes of Lee and read his mail. He had an incredibly strong informational advantage in the war. They estimate that most of the information he was able to collect was 95% accurate, which exceeds the information the United States Army was able to get on the Iraq Army in both Iraq wars. That's this guy. He felt it was impossible to lose. He knew he outnumbered Lee. He devised a plan to lock Lee in on three sides at Chancellorsville, leaving him no alternative but to run back to Richmond. He was extremely confident. He decided to wait it out. He was so sure of the win that he told them, our plan is perfect. Quote, God Almighty could not prevent me from victory tomorrow. He had a 130-man army against Lee's 64, 130,000-man army against Lee's 64,000. And so he told the Union men to prepare, eat, and rest. Anybody ever heard of Robert E. Lee? He gave an illusion to Hooker that his troops were going to run south and withdraw. And instead, he split his army into battle units, many battle units scattered out to infiltrate and surprise Hooker's men while they were resting. And during the final hours, Hooker could not even believe and would not receive the information coming to him that Lee was going to grab them. Gladwell told us in that lecture, Hooker was trapped by his confidence. He was frozen in his own opinions of success. And he went on to lose that battle. Devastating. But then Lee, because of winning, with all odds against, went into the north, into Gettysburg, certain to seal the fate of the northern army. Overconfident. He felt invincible, even in unknown territory. He made decisions, Lee made decisions at Gettysburg that not only doomed the troops in that battle, but turned the entire war to the North's advantage. Gladwell said, normally we think of failure in terms of a deficiency of knowledge. But the truth is that society is suffering more from failures because of our expertise. Paul is saying, you don't have the power or the intellect or the capacity to fight 
this evil, maniacal prince who's watched human behavior since the beginning of time. You have no power to even be in the ring with such an entity who has a strategic, organized plan with wiles and schemes and tactics. This being swept one-third of the angelic host up into the fervor of his own arrogance in eternity past. And we're on a cruise ship. And Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Take up the... So when the evil day comes, not if... You can withstand him. When you've done all, you are the last man standing against such a one. Possible. Decisively. By availing the power of God. Being aware of our opponent. And here's another one. Being tired of losing. And relentless about victory. I loved what Dustin preached last week. Was it last week? Did you ever just like weeks start running into each other? Do you want to get well? Well, I have no one. Do you want it? Well, I have, right? 38 years. In order to win, you have to be tired of losing. That's not enough, these other parts, but that has to be a part. And be relentless about victory. This is what Paul says, take up the call, take up God's armor, tap into his endless resource of might and use his power, and stand. The Lord knows that some of us here today are struggling the Lord knows that some of us are losing. The Lord knows some of us have been losing. Lighthearted moment. My Pittsburgh Pirates, well, they're not mine, but. <laughs> second best record in the major leagues a few weeks back. Everybody's blown away by it. Everybody's, I'm asking my friends, you going to drink the Kool-Aid yet? Uh, not yet, me neither yet, but I'm getting close. I got the cup in my hand. 20 and 8 at one point. And then they've lost six in a row, and I'm watching Twitter all the, oh, here we go. Ah, oh, here we go. And maybe so. <laughs> but you ever heard this message, and you've been, you know, behind the scenes, and behind the praise and worship, and behind the Sunday morning high? You go, oh, man, Tuesday's coming. Th usually by Thursday, I'm so low, I don't even know if I want to go next week. Have you ever been in that Bus ride. The Lord knows some of us have not only been losing a little lately, but we've been losing like the pirates for a decade. We've been being tripped up and slipping up in the same, same. How many more times have you ever prayed the prayer? Here I am again. Oh God, could you possibly, could you possibly, could you possibly endure my confession and repentance over this again? Dear Lord, I hate myself. Mm -hmm. 
He knows of our struggles. He knows of our losing. But here's the difference between God and you and God and the enemy. He kindly and passionately has interrupted the flow of the metaphors to say, I'm aware of your battle. I'm aware of your failings. I'm aware of your losing. I'm aware of your chronic losing streak. And I'm here to tell you, be strong in me. I've come to empower you. I've come to point the light again onto what you've always known. Take up my armor. I am willingly, graciously giving it to you. God is merciful, guys. Jesus understands our weakness, but he still calls us to victory. He understood that man had been in that infirmity for 38 years. He understood it better than the man, but he said, take up your mat and walk. He calls us to victory. If we couldn't be victorious, he wouldn't call us to it. If we couldn't overcome, he wouldn't promise things to the overcomers. If it were not possible, he would have told us. We can be the last one standing in the battle, but we have to be relentless. When the day of evil comes, have you noticed some sports teams that don't get shook if they fall behind early in the, in the game? Have you noticed that? The Atlanta Falcons know what that's about. Ask them about a Super Bowl they were in with, against Tom Brady. Up by, what, 28 at halftime and lose? And I remember watching that and thinking, Tom Brady doesn't even look nervous. And neither did Belichick. Neither did the Patriots. They weren't rolling on the floor crying, calling the prayer group at halftime. They were the New England Patriots. Players that know what to do, know what to do. You, get, you train people in, in the camp, so when the battle comes, you know what to do. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Take your stand. Be strong. But it's not a mental exercise. I watch people, I'm going to get up in the morning, put my helmet on, and put my that's not, what he's, that's not what he's meaning. There's no magic trick involved with saying, I'm going to put on my helmet, I'm going to put on my shield, dun, 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 all that stuff, and then you go off and come back with blood and battered and... There's no magic to it. It's not a cliche. Being strong in the Lord goes much deeper. He is saying this, have an ongoing, close, up-to-date relationship with Jesus. In the power means have an ongoing, close, up-to-date relationship with Jesus. You can go, I'm going to put on the armor, I'm going to put on the armor, sing a praise song about the armor, and not even have a close, ongoing, fresh, up-to-date relationship with Jesus. Gideon thought he was nobody. Digging a pit to hide from the enemy and steal the last bit of the stuff they hadn't stolen yet. And the Lord appears to him and calls him a mighty warrior. And Gideon looks around like, Where's, where, where, where is the mighty warrior? You see, I don't see him. No, you. He goes, if I'm, well, how could? He says, go in this your strength. The Lord is with you. Go in this your strength. The Lord is with you. He wasn't with everybody. Here's the thing. He's with us in battle when we're with him. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, 
But opposite of that, you have Samson. You know what I always find interesting? All the movies, all the movies that have Samson look like he just came out of the weight room. If Samson, was look, if Samson really looked like all the movies, why did they not know the secret of his power? Why did, couldn't they figure out the secret of his power? I mean, if you come out looking like you bench 500 pounds, they're going, well, surely, look at him, he benches 500 pounds. I'm not so sure Samson wasn't a wimp. I mean, I mean, if you put me and the Wharton guys or whoever or some of you other... <laughs> brawny dudes out there and you bet the money who's going to bench the most? <laughs> but what if I do? <laughs> Boom! And I throw the weights down and say, what up? You're going to you're going to say what's the secret of his power? Anyway, that, that, that's just always a pet peeve with mine from these movies. Samson comes out, looks like he's Hercules. What's the secret of your power? Look, that's the secret of my power. No, no, no. Think about it. Read your Bible. But you know what? Samson got loose with his life. But he reasoned the Lord would be with him. And when the attack came, it wasn't. Be strong in the Lord means an ongoing, close, up-to-date relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the vine, you bear much fruit. I am the shepherd, you are safe. But conditions apply. If you feed on my word and my word lives in you, you'll bear much fruit in me, the vine. But if you separate from divine. Samson. You, you think you're the fruit bearer. You think it's your hair and your look. You think you're in the cool kids club in the preaching college. No, no, no. Conditions apply. If you follow my voice, any talk of victory against sin, the world's seduction, satanic strategies is absurd if I live distant from Jesus. This nation we see right now is devastated, it's deceived, it's delusional. And I'm talking about the GOP. What do you think I was talking about? What, you think there's a Christian party? All of it. The whole head is sick. Deceived. Devi you can't see the devil destroying your nation when you're in agreement with him. I can't find America in the Bible. I can. keep on this track, the same spirit that got Babylon, the same spirit that got Rome, is the same spirit waiting to land on us. Or Europe, 
those demons will land wherever they're welcome. You tell God, thank you for getting us here. See ya. We don't need you no more. And the woman in the basket waits to land. What we're manifesting in our nation doesn't look like a city on a hill. It looks like death in the streets. And God's calling for the church to not reflect the world, but to rescue it. We the people, what does it mean? What does we the people mean? We the people what? God wants every person, Russian, Iranian, Chinese, Southeast Asian, Central American, border crossers, people that live in Kentucky, people that live in San Francisco. He wants them to win victory after victory after victory. He wants them to be strong even in times that are so difficult that nobody can stand. Yet they stand. His heart and his hands are stretched out to all who will come to him. I want to be a part of that overcomer. I want to be a part of ministering and, and, and not putting people in categories and in compartments and realize that Jesus Christ wants to reach everybody and I got to rise up above and see from a higher level and not see in the midst of all this crazy and all of this destruction and all this devastation and all of this divisiveness. And, and it's like, who, who really believes what they say? Well, Jesus does. He wants us, to, he wants us to, to be those people. I want to see everybody in our church in decisive victories. I want to see everybody in our church being able to sing along with what we sang this morning about I, I, have, I have trusted in him. He is, I love that song. Another sign that I was on the right track today or God had me on the right track. I never heard that song until this week and I heard it three times this week and I thought, God, this is my favorite song. I've been playing, the, I've been playing it to, over and over and over and I get, up, get here today and, and I need a little wind in my sails. I need a little zip in my zap before I get up here and you guys do that song and man I kicked into a gear and even harmonized I was like man I love this song and I look over I see this little princess girl as we've seen other young kids around and marching down the children's church and all that stuff I just want our kids to be strong in the Lord. I want them to bring great glory to God. I want them to grow up and lead other people to Christ. I want, I want kids to be carrying such an anointing of the Holy Spirit in their middle school, in their high school days, that kids that don't know what they are or who they are or why they are, they don't know what they're pro man, instead of like trying to Bible zap them, but you have such a manifestation of the glory of Jesus on your life that when you portray truth, they know you've already lived it. We're emancipators on a battleship going across these treacherous tides. Men's hearts are going to fail them for the fear of the frightful things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The last thing I want to say today, because we're going to cover Ephesians 6 all month, the last thing I want to say today is what I want to leave you with the most, and it's this. We are never in this battle alone. 
We are never in this battle alone. Luke chapter 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. I didn't know this till about a year ago, but the pronoun you there is in a plural tense. He's not just talking to Simon. Jesus is saying to Simon and the other 10 that are there, Judas has already left. He's saying to Simon, the other 11, and he's saying down through the age to us, the you is us, the sheep. Satan has, this is why he's on the earth. He has set his sights to sift you like wheat. But Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, and I love this because when Jesus has set his sights on you to pray for you, he already knows you're going to turn back to him. Come on, somebody. But I've prayed for you. He might sift you, but I've prayed for you. And when, not if, when you return, strengthen your brothers. Boy, if there's ever an anointing to have on our lives in this age in which we live, is an anointing that brings strength to the people of God. But he wasn't just praying that for those guys. In John 17, he prays for all of us. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. I am not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, their testimony. I heard this in my spirit last night when I was just praying over this message. I heard the, this in my spirit. I think it was the Lord. When you, listen, when you seek my face, when you seek my heart, I have your back. When you seek my face and when you seek my heart, I have your back. The final verse I have is this one. Jude, now to him who is able. Come on. Now to him... Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, that's a decisive victory, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Take your communion symbols with you, please. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Um, I'm just going to try to follow what I believe the Lord's wanting me to do here. Please. I felt really strongly that there would be an anointing on this communion time today to break some of us free from the losing spirit and the accusations and mockery of the enemy that comes with losing. And mind you that the, that the spirit of God would never mock you. The spirit of Jesus would never upbraid you. If you fall seven times, the Lord's able to lift you up. If you fall 77 times, the Lord's able to lift you up. And the Lord wants to lift you up. So I feel very strongly to invite those of you, and I, <laughs> I never just thought of that till this moment, who need an anointing on your life to 
be fresh to lead you into a place of decisive victory. You're tired of losing. You want to be relentless about winning. I want you to bring your communion with you to the altar because I want to pray and we want to pray over you. Somebody that I know that really hears from the Lord sent me a word from the Lord that I really, that, that's about fresh victory. And uh, thank you, brother. And it goes like this. I wrote this down. Many who have been feeling like they have been experiencing so much warfare, opposition, and hardship lately, they feel like they've been knocked out. There has been such an attack on the authority of your faith and on your position in Christ and what the Lord's calling and desiring to build in this hour. It's been an attack like no other. An attack on the place of you being able to hear from the Lord, that you're so disoriented, so confused, under the swirl of the warfare. That there are many who feel like they don't recognize. The battle has been so fierce that you don't even feel like you recognize yourself in this season. The level of weariness and feeling of opposition against you in the spirit has been never more intense than now. But I hear the intercession of the Holy Spirit crying out to the Lord for you. As you think the battle will never break. But it's going to break. Jesus. It is going to break. And the Lord is going to bring fresh victory to you. You will never be delivered from the battle, but lifted from the defeat in it. And he invites you to take your stand in the power of God. Bring your communion with you if you want to be included in this prayer. I would ask also, if you're a brother or sister in the Lord and you have a heart about strengthening others in their faith, or, and or if there's somebody here that you know and you don't want them to stand alone, would you come and stand with them? I'm not asking you to share any words with them. I'm not asking you to share scriptures with them. I'm really not asking you to become the, the word of influence in their life. I'm just asking you to stand with them. We're going to let the Lord himself minister. Come on up if you would. Give some, come on up here so people, we don't bottleneck the, the aisle. Thank you. Come on up. Get near that person. Get near them. God bless you. Make room, make room, make room.
let's all just wait a minute on the Lord and just would you just set your mind you know you know the fastest way to, to, to victory in a battle you know the fastest way you know how to jump the line you know how to jump the line my mama told me this my mother told me this Psalm 91 God says because he sets his love on me I will deliver him and show him my salvation. You know how you jump the line? At this altar, just start from the depth of your heart. Just start telling Jesus. Not, not begging. We don't have to beg the Lord. Don't beg the Lord. Don't beg for what he's already giving. Don't beg him. The devil loves that. We need not beg. Just tell him how much you love him. And while you do, the devil will say, if you loved him, why are you, why are you losing? If you loved him, you know better. You know that's his game. That's his voice. That's not the shepherd's voice. You know what? Here's the shepherd's voice. Because he, she sets her love on me, I will deliver them and show them my salvation. Let God's word be released to you. Are you ready? And he took the bread... Holy Spirit just said to whoever the, why are you still standing out there when you're to be up here? And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your dark depravities. Avon is the word for, 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 for iniquity. Dark depravity. He was wounded for your dark depravity. The punishment on him brought us shalom. And by his wounds, we were made whole. We're made whole. We're made whole. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus with the bread that represents the broken body of the Son of God who died to break the power of shame and hell and sickness and torment off the lives of your people. We stand at this altar as sons and daughters redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we take the bread and by faith believe that you're releasing victories to us in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread. In like manner, he took the cup and blessed it and said, this blood is the new covenant in my blood, this cup shed for you for the remission, the forgiveness, the release of your sins. If you've lost every battle you've been in over the past month, over the past months, there's one battle that he won, the ultimate one, by shedding his blood for you. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, once for all time, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You are in a position of victory, fighting to have victories decisively established in your life. And the enemy knows that. 
you are taking this by faith, saying, I might not be what I want to be, but God has made me a son and a daughter, and I'm going to take up his power offered to me through the finished work of the blood of Jesus, and I'm going to begin to believe for decisive victories in Jesus' name. Would you take the cup? Now, when John sees the imagery of God in the throne room of God, he hears a voice saying, who is worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the one on the throne? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was worthy. There was no answer. But listen, here's the other thing. Here's the other questions in Romans 8. Who is he who condemns? No answer. Who is he who could bring any charge against those God has chosen? No answer. Why? Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he looked to see a lion and he saw a lamb that had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. He's standing in the center for you and for me and for people of all races. Those who know and those who have yet to know. And he's made us kings and priests on the earth. And we have a power that we're not even realizing we have. We have a power to enforce the kingdom of God in our own life, our families, in our, in our nation, in our, in our world. And if the enemy can keep us thinking that we're defeated, we're going to cower back. But the word of the Lord to all of us is, go in this your strength. The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior, you. You mi mighty warrior, you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for every man, every woman, everybody watching, everybody taking this stand fresh. We will take up the armor of God. We will be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. We are believing right now that a breakthrough will take place for everybody that needs this, Lord, to go from a, a, a mindset of defeat, a mindset of sorrow that's made us weary, even in well-doing, weary in the war. Father, I pray a fresh wind, I pray a fresh impartation of the grace of God would rise up in the spirits of men and women around this altar, around this sanctuary, and Lord, you'd release them from defeat, you'd release them from the residue, from the trauma of battles of the past. God, that you'd break those things, begin to break those things, and make them more than conquerors in their life. What they already are positionally, I pray that would, it would manifest experientially for those that are here, for those that are watching, for those that will watch. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we break the power of loss. We break the power of the trauma of shame. We break the spirit that brings to mind the flashes of moments in dark shadows of life. God, we're believing that light would flood the light of joy, the light of grace, the light of beauty, the light of victory, the light of strength would be imparted to your people. And we give you thanks. We give you praise because we set our love on you. You deliver us. 
and show us your salvation. May we spend a moment at this altar as this band leads us. And may we just set our affection on him. Not beg him. May you just love the Lord. May you just love the Lord in this moment together. And may God bless you in Jesus' name.